you're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. I told him, I think this is the most exciting um, sermon I've ever had the opportunity to preach, but I saying the most nerve-wracking, because it's something so close to my heart. Um, worship is something, as I'm going to share in a moment, that's just touched my life. Um, it's changed me. It's built me. It's grown me. Uh, it's also stirred me in good ways and <clears throat> harmful ways and hurtful ways. Not in a bad sense, but I've just had to be broken before the Lord, and worship's done that for me. And so my hope this morning and my goal is as we're talking, I'm not speaking from my, just my perspective, but I'm hoping that the Lord is speaking through me and that we together as a church can partner um, in worship together. So um, I'm just going to start by asking a simple question. And, um, this is a pretty simple question, but it's something I think if we thought about it and if we had to admit it, it would be a little difficult to answer. But um, has musical worship ever made you feel uncomfortable? And uh, I ask that because there's been so many times I've been doing this for, gosh, like over 10 years at this point. And uh, the look on some people's faces is really cool and encouraging when you're leading worship. I could be up here singing some song and I look out and people are just like in it and they're zoning in and they're singing and whatever. And then sometimes there's just people who are just staring at me like in my eyes as I'm singing. And I feel so like, do you need something from me? Like, what? <laughs> just sing. Um, and, and I started to understand over the past 10 years or so that this is an uncomfortable thing. And uh, it's different if you go to, like, some Drake concert because you paid money to get in. You know what I'm saying? Or some Taylor Swift concert. You're paying money for a ticket to go in and to sing a Taylor Swift song, right? But if you come in here, especially if you're not a Christian, and you come in here and there's this band who's covering songs. It's not even songs we've written. It's just cover a cover band, like at a wedding. And... You're in here like, oh, I'm just, let's be honest. Sharon just said thank you. Um, but, but that's the truth. And I just started thinking like, man, this is probably kind of weird, right? And then like a guy gets up here and he gives this lecture. Is this college? Like, what are we doing? And so I just started to think, man, like, this is probably uncomfortable. So I asked that question. I want you to ask yourself that. Do I get uncomfortable during worship? There's no wrong answer. If you do, it makes sense, and that's totally fine, and you're not offending me, you're not bothering me about it, because I'm not up here so that you'll raise your hands more and sing louder. I'm just hoping to help you encounter God through music, because it's something that he's given us, a gift he's given us. So as you're thinking about that question, I'm just going to tell you my story um, with worship and with music. So I, uh, unlike a lot of people, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My testimony doesn't start that way. Um, my testimony starts in a really broken place, a really poor place, a really uh, scary place at times. But the one thing I can remember, the fondest memories I have were riding um, in the car with my mom. Now, my mom grew up in the 60s and 70s, and she would even consider herself that she used to be a hippie. She told me that straight up. She was like, I was one of those hippies. We were watching some, like, Woodstock video of, like, Jimi Hendrix playing music, and she's like, I was one of those people out there. And I was like, man, that's weird. You're my mom, you know? This is weird. Um, but she just started to talk to me about music at a very young age. I remember listening to a lot of 90s alternative rock. So if you guys can think of me for a minute, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Stone Temple Pilots, um, Audio Slave, Soundgarden. Uh, the list can go on and on. And of course, my favorite band of all time, Creed. Can I get an amen on that one? Come on. Can you take me higher? I don't know. Um, <laughs> But uh, outside of that, we also listen to a lot of classic rock. So you guys can also agree with me on this. We have Stevie Hendrix, as I just said, or uh, Jimi Hendrix. We had Stevie Ray Vaughan, ACDC, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, my mom, and she would have albums. That was the coolest thing, albums from when she was like a kid. Like she was like, I remember I was 13 years old listening to this album. And I'm like, you were listening to this at 13? This is filthy music. Like, it's disgusting. But what's even more interesting about my mom is when I was born, so my middle name's Eric. And I always thought, Mom, like, why, why'd you name me Eric? And she said, Eric Clapton. He's my favorite. And I was like, back then, I was like, oh, it's so cool. And I'm like, seriously? I'm not going to name my son Drake. Like, I'm, like, it's not, I don't feel good about that. But then again, I went on to become a musician, which was even crazier. But, but all that to say, I grew up in this environment where music was just it. And I remember even, like, when times were hard, like, my parents were in a fight. I just go in my room and turn my radio on. And listen to 93.3, the planet, rock music. That's all I grew up with. But, but music became my friend. 
Music became my counselor. Music became my parent. When my parents weren't there, I just listened to music all the time. It was my favorite. I remember having a CD player. I got a CD player for Christmas one year. And uh, I would just carry that thing on all the time. And like, I dropped it a hundred times. I had CDs that would like skip like crazy. But I just held on to that CD player because it meant so much to me. It was a prized possession. So things changed a little bit when I turned uh, about 12 years old. Um, I, I ended up going to church a little before that. I got introduced to Vacation Bible School, which is a wonderful place for children, um, where there's free candy and free food and dancing and singing, and it was incredible. I loved it. But that was where I got introduced to, to the Lord and, and to the Christian faith, and I started hearing about music, and I ran into people like Chris Tomlin and Petra. Good grief. A band called New Song and Newsboys and, and all this other music. And I just remember being like, what is this? Right? Because I'm 12 years old. And I said, wait, there's music about God, too? That's awesome. But at this time, I didn't really have a relationship with God. I, I just went to church. And these were people who were sweet to me and people who were kind of parenting me in the faith. Um, but I didn't really know who God was. I knew about Jesus. I knew about the cross. I knew about hell a lot. And I knew about heaven a little bit um, just because of the background I went to and um, throughout all of that, I just remember hanging on to these worship songs and just getting stuck in worship music. And one day, I'm, I'm at this lady's house, and this, this was this woman who really took me in, and she mothered me so well, and her name was Miss Gregory. I always called her Miss Gregory. And she brought me over to her house for lunch one day, and she had this old piano in her living room. And I asked her one day, finally, I stared at that thing all the time. I had no idea what to do with it. And I said, hey, can I just go over there and dabble on that a little bit? And she just was like, do you even know how to play? I said, No. She said, well, just don't bang on it. That's all she said to me. So I go over this piano, and that morning we had just sang, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee in church. And I sat down at this piano, and I'll never forget just sitting there and just pressing these keys and trying to put out this melody on this piano and just going, dun, 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 no, dun, 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 oh, dun, 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 and just over and over. I mean, for... An hour, I'm just in there, bam, bam, and finally I got the whole melody down. And after a while, she walked in and she said, did you just figure that out? I was like, yeah. She goes, hold on one second. And she like goes, she's like making this phone call. She comes back. She's like, would you be interested in taking piano lessons? <laughs> and she just wanted to pay for my piano lessons, which was a gift from the Lord at this point. You know, I'm looking at it and going like, oh, well, now I get it. But, but back then, she just saw in me this passion. And, and so anyways, I start playing piano. And then for Christmas, I got a guitar. And so I picked up guitar, and then from guitar, I started picking up the bass. And from the, the bass, I started dabbling a little bit in the drums, and then so on and so forth. I'm playing different instruments, and then one day I have to pick up singing. And that's a really funny story in itself. I'll try and keep it quick. So I'm 13 years old. I'm playing bass in the youth band. I don't know if you guys are familiar with youth bands, they're the best. They're worse than garage bands. Um, so I'm playing, I'm playing bass in this band, um, again, because it's cover, you know, whatever. Um, I'm playing bass, and one night we're supposed to play this, this worship service for big church. Big church was like the traditional service. We had youth group, and then there was big church, which was the big room with all the older people who didn't like our music or like what we did. But we had one night that we got to go in there and do this music. I'm supposed to play bass this night. And I get a phone call at 2 o'clock from our youth pastor. He said, hey, man. Brother Dale just quit. And I said, what do you, Dale was the worship guy. And he went to North Greenville. And uh, he was like, Brother Dale quit. And I said, what do you mean he quit? He, he just called me and quit just now at 2 o'clock on the Sunday where in the evening we're supposed to do this worship service. And I was like, well, why are you telling me? I don't care. You know, I'm just like, whatever. He's like, you know all the songs? I want you to lead worship. And I was like, I don't even sing, dude. Like, wait, what? I'm 13, guys. I'm not like 18, 17. I'm 13 years old. I'm a, I'm a kid, a child. Okay, whatever. Never sang before. I'm freaking out. So anyways, I go to the church early. It's, it's like 2.30. I'm in the youth room. I've locked the door. There's no one around. I was like, I got to figure this thing out. <laughs> and I just start, I get on the piano, and I start playing Amazing Grace. Guys, it was so funny. Because I don't sound like how I do right now, right? Like, I was like, and just choir boy trying to get this song down. And it was awful. It sounded so bad. But I remember I, I tried to learn the songs or whatever. And then that night we did this worship set. And afterwards, the youth pastor comes to me and says, dude, that was awesome. And I was like, come on, man. That wasn't good at all. That was rough. Because it did go very rough. But then from that moment on, he just told me, I, I think that was awesome. And he started training me 
in leadership at 13 because he said, no one else is going to do this job. I need somebody to do it. How about you do it? Which if you go to a lot of churches, how a lot of churches work. Oh, you can do that? Come and do it. Oh, you can, te- you can teach really well? Come on up here and teach. Like, just We need your help. Which is great, but at the same time, I was being handed this mantle and this authority at 13. Good grief. Like, how different my life would be if I hadn't have done that. But the point is, I, I just got involved in singing, and I just remember feeling so empowered, but feeling so like I just belonged to something. I went and played football in high school, and it just didn't feel the same. Being on the field playing and, like, the training and all that, I hated practice. I hated spring practice. I hated lifting weights. I hated all of it. But when I could play music, when I could sit down and sit at a piano for three hours, I was full of life. And, and when I was leading worship, I just started feeling the most life and the most belonging, not just within a church, but within the kingdom of God. So then we're uh, moving forward a little bit more, and I'm, I'm at this summer camp, and I'm 15. This is a couple of years later. At this point, I had been saved twice, and I had been baptized twice. <laughs> because each time I'd learn something new, and I'd be like, ah, no, I'm not doing that. Let me come back in and figure it out. So I'm at this youth camp, and this other team of college guys is leading worship, and, and this is the last night. And I remember he gets up there, and he just starts playing his guitar. And then I just remember hearing him just sing, He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath weight of his wind and mercy. And I just remember going, wait, what? This isn't holy as the Lord, but Chris Tomlin, you know what I'm saying? The worship service, for some reason, something changed when I heard those words. So I'm like zoned in. I've never heard this song before. And he starts singing it over and over again. And he sings, you know, he loves us, oh, how. And I remember hearing, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Just that phrase in that song, how he loves. And I can't explain to you it felt like someone was, was deep inside of me pushing tears out of me. I couldn't stop. I mean convulsingly weeping. And I went to my youth pastor, and at his feet, I'm grabbing his legs and going, I'm so sorry. He's like, what are you sorry for, man? I, I just, I'm a screw-up, man. Like, nothing in my life, like, makes, like, I mean, broken in pieces at his feet. And he's like, you're talking to the wrong guy, man. And sends me up to the front of this room, and I'm just screaming, weeping, and just seeking forgiveness from the Lord. And then I got to sing those words, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And even now, like, it's, it's still, I can remember that moment. Because there was something about, I had this information inside of me that I had been hearing since I was nine years old in this church about grace, about love, about the cross, about atonement, about mercy, about kindness, about God. But it wasn't until I actually heard this song and I said these words in my song that it clicked. And my whole life was transformed. Because I chose to speak out loud. I chose to, to use my voice and to lift it and say, if grace is an ocean, then I'm sinking in it. You see, the church helped me identify who God was, but it was worship that allowed me to sing him into existence. God became real in that worship service when I was 15 years old. He was a person. His Holy Spirit was in me. He, the Holy Spirit was the one pushing those tears out. And saying, like, just get this junk out of here. And finally, I, I just felt so, it's just, just because I chose to sing. I have this quote. This is by a guy. He's a worship pastor out in Alabama. His name is Matt Mason. And this is when, when, when he talks about worship in one of his books. This is what he says. He said, by his spirit, this is what God's doing through worship. By his spirit, he is causing us to see his holiness and grace. He is awakening our souls to stand in awe of him. He is bringing the gospel home to our hearts so that we might boast in Christ alone. I think there's a passage in John that that we've studied recently and um, back when we were in our belief series. And Jesus even says, like, God's the one who draws men to himself. And I look back at when I was 15 and I say, he's the one who brought me into the presence. I thought I was working so hard. I thought I was reading scripture. I thought I was praying. I thought I was leading. And then I come into that space, and he just flipped the tables on me. So I got saved for the the third time, got baptized for the third time. It's not a big deal, but I feel like triple 
blessed, to be honest with you. I have extra blood. It's great. <laughs> but we're in this series called Inherit, and, and you might be wondering at this point, you know, what, Timothy, what does this have to do with Inherit? I think in Christ, part of our inheritance is the opportunity to worship him, not the obligation. I think we walk in here, and, and part of my problem, even when I was a kid, was we came, what we did is we walked in. All I knew is, like, this is what we do. And we stand up, and we look, and there's this big old organ the size of this theater over here, and we're just going to sing these songs. This is what we do. But I never asked the question, why? Why the heck are we singing? And I think a lot of us are in this room saying, why are we singing? And maybe that's the truth for some of us. Like, what's the point? Why, why, why are we in here doing this whole singing thing, doing this whole worshiping thing? I don't get it. I believe like God's going to answer that question through his spirit. I believe that within us there's this answer, and that answer for all of us is a song. I said this to Oliver this week, that, that when God created the world, God was expressing himself. That's all that worship is. It's just an expression. It's you take what God's doing in your life and you just express yourself with it. So if you think about all of us, we're, we're like this, this doxology of God. God we're his, his master work, his artwork. We're an expression of himself. We're walking pieces of worship as we walk around. Not that people should worship us. We don't worship each other, but we look at God and say, I'm the one that you've created. A piece of art, a piece of work, an expression of his heart. So partially, why do we sing? So we can look back at him and be reminded of like his love, be reminded of his grace, be reminded of, of his affection for us, each and every one of us. That's why we choose to sing. Because I could sit here all day long, I could talk to you. I could talk to you until I'm blue in the face. But if I invited you to sing, if you made the decision to sing, to open your mouth, how transformed would your life be at that point? So, I want to bring something up, something that Oliver said a while back. He said this term, words create worlds. And I remember when he said that, I just thought that was so captivating because if you really think about the things we say create the the room that we're in is what he's essentially saying the the things that we say the way that we talk about other people the way that I talk about my wife or I talk about my daughter affects the way that other people see my wife and my daughter the way I talk about God affects the way that you see God the way that you talk about God affects the way that I see God our words create worlds and as I was thinking about worship the the thing that that, that came to me that the Lord said to me was I was like words create worlds but Songs are the things that create the scenery in the room. So I want to give you an example. It's going to be a little goofy. But uh, I think a lot of us have seen Star Wars in here. And I want to show you a clip real quick. This is going to be great. The first clip is the ending scene to A New Hope. Star Wars is like one of my favorite things in all the world. So just bear with me in this. Um, this is the ending scene, the original scene with the music and everything. And so just watch this and we're going to talk about it here in a moment.
triumphant, right? You're so stirred right now. You're like, I just want to go fight something, do something. Now take the music away from the scene, and everything gets a lot different. And I'm going to have a point to this. This isn't just me being goofy up here. Enjoy this. But we're going to come back around, and I just want you to pay attention to the difference that music can make just in a movie scene. hear the AC blowing in the back. Okay. <laughs> so you can see music affects things dramatically. Uh, somebody said, I can't remember, I think it was Ethan this morning. He was like, man, this shows like actors have such a tough job. Like they had to do that whole scene just like that. It's terrifying. But I say that because really, and I know that's silly, but, and I'm not saying, you know, hey, your life needs to have music in it, man. Like, just listen to music all the time. But, but you really think about it. I mean, think about people like Elvis. Elvis comes in, and he changes the whole dynamic of music. A whole genre is created because he comes in and starts moving his legs and starts singing in this certain way, singing these songs, and he changes history. That's where, like, ACDC comes from. All those bands I was just talking about, they came from Elvis. He's the guy who started all this stuff because he made a decision and started playing this music. It became a theme back in the day. The Beatles, good grief. If you ever watched a documentary about the Beatles, my mom lived it and she was telling me about it. She just was like, it was crazy. Like Beatlemania was real because they had a soundtrack for the world. The world was being moved and being changed by this one soundtrack. I remember uh, Paul McCartney talking about the song Blackbird. And he said, I wrote it because I was hearing about the, the African-American oppression going on in America so I wrote this song called Blackbird. Beautiful song. Changed the course of history. And so I don't want you to think that I'm over here just going like, hey, we just need to be listening to worship music. It's not about things being secular. It's not about things being sacred or, or things like that. I'm just trying to tell you and, and hopefully remind you and show you that music itself is this gift from the Lord. When I, when I listen to music like John Mayer, I say, this is music that's great because of God. He's only great because God gave him the talent to do so. And when we sing and when we reflect, through, just, I'm just talking about music. I'm not saying this is the only way to worship, but just in the realm of music, when we can lift our voices, something changes. There's a way that we're now communicating with God that's different than if we're just journaling or talking or praying. This is a, um, a quote by Martin Luther. When he talks about music, he says, When man's natural ability is wedded and polished to the extent that it becomes an art, then do we note with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music, which is, after all, his product and his gift? He goes on to say, We marvel when we hear music in which one voice sings a simple melody, while three or four or five other voices play and trip lustily around the voice that sings it. There's something about 
heaven meeting earth, Martin Luther would argue, that when we start singing and when voices come together, and not just singing for no good reason, but when it sounds good, there's something heavenly that happens. There's something from the kingdom that happens when we start to lift our voices in song. And when we can take that song and look back at God, the earth changes, our world changes, and not just the world around us, but the scenery changes. I'm going to keep reading some, just some quotes and some facts. This is C.S. Lewis in the book, The Magician's Nephew out of the Chronicles of Narnia. We probably talk about C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia each week, I've realized. I almost didn't do this because I was like, we talk about him too much. But here's the beginning of this book, and The Magician's Nephew is about the creation of Narnia. And it's really beautiful what he starts to say. Uh, Aslan, who's the main character, and Aslan's supposed to be a depiction of God, is now, he's just come on the scene in this dark abyss called Narnia. And it says, in the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There's this, just think about that. Like, think about the creation of the world. Think about God being on the scene and creating things. C.S. Lewis imagined that he's singing. Imagine God singing things into existence. It's different than just reading the book of Genesis and saying, he said this will happen, and so it was good. And that's wonderful, and that's awesome. Imagine if he sang things into existence. You read the rest of that chapter, and it's Aslan just being like, oh, and he's just creating trees and planets and stars and mountains and rivers and oceans, and it's just like, this is incredible. It's captivating. There's something that changes when we use singing instead of just simple talking, speaking words. Here's a few facts for you. Singing lowers stress levels. This is science. Making music in any form is relaxing. Singing releases stored muscle tension and decreases the levels of a stress hormone called cortisol in your bloodstream. Don't go to the chiropractor, just start singing. I'm just kidding, still go to the chiropractor. Singing improves mental alertness. Improved blood circulation and oxygenated bloodstream allows more oxygen to reach the brain. This improves mental alertness, concentration, memory. Listen to this. The Alzheimer's Society has even established a singing for the brain service to help people with dementia and Alzheimer's maintain their memories. I've read so many articles and seen so many documentaries about people who they can't remember who their wife is, but you put them in front of a piano and they start tearing that thing up. There's something about music. Singing is a natural antidepressant. Singing is known to release endorphins, the feel-good brain chemical that makes you feel uplifted and happy. In addition, scientists have identified a tiny organ in your ear called the sacculus, which responds to the frequencies created by singing. There's a muscle in your ear that responds to singing. The response creates an immediate sense of pleasure, regardless of what the singing sounds like. And listen to this. Not only that, but singing can simply take your mind off the day's troubles to boost your mood. I remember when I was in high school, like, there was a big time where this, like, dark music came out. But it was, like, this sad, depressive music. Like, a band called Thriving Ivory was one of them. And it was, like, kind of like, just like sad punk music, you know? And I would always think, why do people listen to this stuff? But in a way, this music was counseling them. They were depressed. They were sad. They were broken. And this guy was just like saying, hey, it's okay to be like that. I'm like that too. And they talked about I remember there was this one band. It was a band like that. And somebody asked him, why do you write such depressing music? And he said, because I get so many letters and emails and phone calls from people who don't commit suicide because of my music. Because I make it okay for them to feel the way that they're feeling. I said, what? That's insane. Even depressing music. There's power in it. There's authority in singing those songs. Somehow. I don't understand how, but it's happening. Just imagine if you added the gospel. Just imagine if you had the kingdom of God in the words that we sang. There's a reason why when I'm up here, guys, I don't bring songs that are shallow and empty. Like, I want to sing songs that stir your heart and that show you the face of God and show you his heart. Because when you're singing, you're not obligated to sing. Jesus died for that obligation. And now scripture says he's interceding. but He's already worshiping for us before the Father. So we actually don't have to do anything. But we get to. 
You understand? And I understand. I get, I get personalities and I get emotions, but, but listen, I'm, I'm an INTJ on the Myers-Briggs. I am not supposed to be a worship leader. I'm supposed to be what Stephen Lewis is doing. I'm supposed to be a lawyer or a doctor or like a chemist or something, and I'm not. <laughs> A few more things about singing. There are more than 500 references to singing in the entire Bible and more than 50 direct commands to sing. Psalm 96, 1 through 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing, 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 sing. Psalm 101, 1. I will sing of your love. I won't scream about your love. I won't tell you of your love. I will sing of your love and justice to you, Lord. I will sing praise. Sing. Psalm 147, I love this one. Praise the Lord. That word praise is hallelujah. Hallelujah is praise and yah is God. It's the highest word for praise in all of scripture. It just means to scream worship to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Singing is of utmost importance throughout scripture it's such a priority to sing worship to God but like I said we all have different personalities right we all have we all have different emotional um, um, things that, that, that we work through and work out of some of us are very extroverted and we're very touchy-feely some of us are very introverted and we're very thoughtful and we like to think through the things that we're doing and sometimes singing doesn't do that right I was telling Oliver the other day I said you know why I think people at times, can like preachers more than like worship leaders. Because like when preaching, you just come in, you journal, right? You listen for 45 minutes, and you get to go home. Worship is causing you to stand up and sing. There's some sort of responsibility put on us when we're in a worship set. And it's terrifying. Because when you're standing here, and someone's asking you to sing something about God, something about his faithfulness, or about his goodness, or about our sin right? I don't want to sing about it. I'll listen to another guy talk about it and amen him, but I don't want to sing. Don't make me sing, Timothy. Because singing is uncomfortable. It's an emotional action. It's emotion that you do to literally feel something. Because when you sing, you're going to feel something. That's the whole point of singing, that we would connect our mind with our heart and that we would actually connect with God with both of those things. It's something that reading a Bible verse can't do at times. That's why the Bible commands it. That's why singing is so valuable. But maybe it's less about how scary it is, but more how, about how revealing it is. Like I said, maybe, maybe there's something inside of us that, that needs to be aired out. I know there's been times I've been in worship, and I literally felt God like poking my heart and going like, Hey, you hear that? <laughs> you see that? We need to talk about that. And I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't want to talk about that. No, Lord, I'll let Oliver talk about it, right? He's good at talking about it. But there's something, when you have to stand up and sing, he's faithful to the end, when your life hasn't looked that way, that's hard. Because you can't just say, hey, good for you, Oliver. Good for you, Timothy. You have to sing it for yourself. And that's hard. And it's terrifying because it brings you face to face with the truth of who God is. So I just want to ask this question. How transformed would your life be if you simply chose to sing in every season? So anytime, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when it's hard, when it's easy, when you're an introvert, when you're an extrovert, when you're a feeler or you're a thinker, what if you chose to just sing? So really quickly, I know I'm running out of time, but uh, I just want to run through um, Ephesians, the passage that we're talking about. I remember at the beginning I was saying, what does it have to do with inherit? This is Ephesians. This is at the end of chapter 3. And, and Oliver shared this, shared this with me this week, and I loved it. He said that this is the hinge of Ephesians. This is the turning of the page. Where the, where the tone and, and the entire dynamic, honestly, of this passage changes. But Paul puts this really specific exhortation in the middle, right in the middle of this book. And this is what he says. And Paul's a smart guy. Let's remember that. Paul, he wasn't just a persecutor of Christians. He was a government official. He was an intelligent man. He was smart. He was quick. He was witty. And he was serious. 
And this is what he says to the church of Ephesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Act of worship, a posture of worship, to kneel. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You notice he said family. There's something about community in Paul's heart. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Christ's abundance, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I talked about it earlier, but I just think there's this, that can be brought out in worship, this, this abundance of glory and, 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 and knowing who God is deep within us. And, and it's up to us to actually release this, to partner with Holy Spirit and actually experience who God is through worship because it's all waiting in here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, this is the key verse I want to talk about this morning. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Emily's birthday was in July, and I was trying to think of a birthday gift to get her, and I couldn't think of anything, but I remember a while back she said to me, Timothy, the best gift you can give me is a handwritten letter. I love handwritten letters or cards. And I said, okay, okay. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I said, you know what? I'm going to write a song. I'm going to go one up and write an awesome, great song. It's going to be romantic. It's going to be awesome. Get a pen and paper out, and I, I just paused in fear. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> Because just like singing worship is terrifying, trying to write out the affections and, the, and the, the love and the care that I have for my wife and make it rhyme and bounce and dance and all that stuff just was like, nah, dog, I can't do that. But I did, and, and it took me a, a month. It took me a solid month to write this song. And I was horrified. I was so scared, guys, that I recorded it on my phone and then sent it as a text message to Emily. Like, not even on my phone, on her phone. Like, I sent a text. This is what I did. So I sent the text, and she's sitting on the floor playing with Nora. And I had my headphones rolled up, set my headphones down on her phone. I just texted her. I picked up Nora. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, this is on her birthday. I'm not saying anything. I'm just trying to be smooth and cool. I'm like, just do that. So I pick up Nora. I'm leaving. And she goes, oh, you sent me a text. She pushes it, and I shut the door. And these are French doors, so I can see her through the doors. So I'm holding Nora, and I'm just bouncing Nora, horrified. I hope she likes it. And what I had done was I had given her the phone, the headphones, and I gave her this piece of paper that had the lyric, I mean, messy and all, lyrics, scratch-outs, all of it. And on the back, I wrote her a letter. So I leave, and I'm bouncing Nora, and I watch her for the whole, like, four minutes and 17 seconds or whatever it was. And I watched her at first just be like this, reading the piece of paper. And I'm like, nah, man, come on. Give me something. This is awful. I mean, it was awful to watch, like, your gift unfurl before your eyes. But after she goes, <sighs> and she just started, I mean, just weeping. And I was like, yes, come on. Won the birthday. And it was great. She loved, she came out crying. She was like, oh, baby. Like, just, like, holding me and hugging. It was great. But I looked back and I realized, you know, I actually got more out of writing that song than I did singing it. And like, and then then she did like listening to it, you know? Like I wrote it. And I remember as I was writing, I had to reflect on my love for her. I had to reflect on our marriage. I had to reflect on her as a mom and like do all this stuff and think about how she made me feel. And I got on the paper, and then when I sang, I, guys, I had to do, it was seven takes, because I, I literally started crying recording this song. And I just remember being like, I mean, she loved it, don't get me wrong. It's in a little nightstand by her bed. It's a little piece of paper folded in there. She has it right there. And that's so sweet, but, but there's something about, like, I had to reflect and then sing. And when I had spent time reflecting in my own heart, I realized that I can't just know how much I love Emily I have to talk about how much I love Emily. I have to go to her and tell her how much she means to me. I have to tell my daughter Nora, even though she's ten and a half months old, that I love her and my favorite things about her because it's less for her and it's more for me. 
And why Paul, I think, is saying this love that surpasses knowledge, that gets to the fullness, is because I can't just think good thoughts all day about God. Okay, I can't just make good lectures about God. I can't just listen to Andy Stanley podcasts about God. I actually have to come into a room, turn on Chris Tomlin or whatever, and get my worship on. Because it isn't until I start singing that he's faithful to the end that I'll actually start believing it. You guys still with me? Does that make sense? I feel like I'm starting to yell a little bit. I don't want to yell at you guys. I'm going to read this passage. This is Romans 8, 26 through 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because you might be thinking to yourself, well, Timothy, you don't know my story. You don't know my life, man. My life's hard, and it stinks, and I hate it, and I'm miserable. So I can't say I have nothing to sing about. Here's what Paul says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You don't need any worship then, man. Just partake in it. No one's asking you to get your life together and believe he's faithful because even when you don't believe, the Holy Spirit is already saying that he's faithful inside of you. So if you just start singing the song, you'll get there. Worship isn't just, I have to give this to God and I hope he likes it. No, Jesus is already doing that for us. We get to walk in crummy, broken, sad, depressed, and come in and partake and experience his love. Experience his kindness. Guys, come in miserable one Sunday and I dare you to sing, God, I look to you. I dare you to sing, King of my heart, you are good, good, and you're never going to let me down. I dare you. And just watch your life just shift, your mindset shift. Because the circumstance isn't going to change, but your heart can. Your perspective can, your eyes can, your lens can, the way you see him, the way you see your life. And so biblically, like, you might be thinking, okay, well, it says to sing, but, but why? Like, what's the point? And, and again, like, I, I kept thinking about, you know, introverts. I, start, I kept thinking about like thinkers and I just was like, how, are, how am I going to talk to these guys? Like they're still going to be like, whatever, dude, it's not me. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 says this, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. That's a, that's a little story from before. Um, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your what? It's Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your what? Your hearts to God. God's the creator of all things, guys. He's, he's the creator of your emotions as well. Worship gives you an opportunity to feel something, to deal with something. Because that's not a bad thing. God's not against your, your sadness, and he's not against your turbulence. I remember Sharon and I were talking about turbulence is this word in the Myers-Briggs thing. He's not worried about that. That's why we have worship. We get to sing in process. Just as Paul is pouring his heart out in this, in this passage here, we can do that in worship. Do you understand that, that he loves your emotion? Because he gave it to you. He gave the opportunity to be angry, to be frustrated to be recovering from being manipulated, from being lied to, to be sad, to be broken. He makes space for that because he gave you the emotion. And he gives you the opportunity to deal with it in worship. But just remembering to be thankful. Finally, this is, um, for this point, we're going to start closing this down. The band, you guys can come up here if you want. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It isn't perfect thought. Or ideas that cast out fear, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is what changes your life. It was the love of God to send his son to die on the cross for you. It wasn't some idea he had. 
If anyone ever asks me to sacrifice my child for anything, I'm not just going to think about it and make a decision. My heart's involved. Does that make sense? You ha- we have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, not just our heads. I don't want you to get trapped there. I don't want you to come in and feel like you're trapped because you can't move forward in your relationship with God just simply because you're not singing. And I'm not saying singing is just the answer. Because on the other side of the spectrum, there's some of us in here, and I've been there before, where I just sang because I didn't want to think about anything. I just worshiped because I could oh, feel it, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. I didn't want to have to go read Exodus where thousands of people are murdered because God said so. I don't want to deal with that. I didn't want to deal with my own emotions and my own issues. So I just, I'm just going to sing and sing and forget about it. But it's that balance of balancing your head and your heart, becoming one, a whole being, just as God is one. Just like it said, the Lord God, he's one. So come be one with him. Use your head and use your heart. So I want to give these encouragements. In seasons of feasting, there's this word, um, I believe it's halah, and it's to boast or to brag with shouting and screaming. When your life's going great, give him a shout. Give him your best. Give him your all. Like Scream to him. Tell him how happy you are. Worship him because he gave it to you. And this is where we see this. It's in Psalm 147 as well. It says, he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. In seasons of famine, there's another word, and it's yadan, and it's that word that means lifting your hands. Where you don't know what's going on, you don't understand what's wrong, you don't get what you're doing wrong, you don't understand why this is happening to you, God's telling you to lift your hands and give it up. Surrender to him. You might be there today, maybe you're here and you are in a season of famine. Things aren't working, things aren't clicking, you haven't had a job in months, your relationships are breaking, whatever it might be. Lift your hands. Surrender. He's not going to come and just fix your problems. He's going to fix your heart, fix your perspective. And I'll just quickly go to the next one. It's in seasons of fasting. I believe it's that word Barack, not Barack Obama. But this word Barack just means to bless the Lord, and it means to kneel before the Lord. So in fasting or in a time of waiting where things aren't making sense, but you know something's coming and you feel like God's called you into something, called you to go somewhere, you can just kneel and just give it all to him and bless him. We bless him because he holds all of it in his hands. He has the power in his hands. He has the authority in his hands. He has the plans in his hands. So kneel in submission to him. And that's a posture of worship. That's how we worship. All right, I'd love if you guys can come up and start doing the communion, but we're going to take communion here in a moment. If you guys would stand up. I was going to lead us in it, but I'm going to pray for us before we go into that. If you guys actually would just hold your hands out like this real quick. I don't know where all of you are coming from. I don't know where um, life has brought you to this point. I don't know if you find yourself in a season of feasting right now, if you find yourself in a season of, of fasting or in famine. But right now, I want to invite you to look at him with your hands out just like that. In your mind's eye, Allowing your heart to connect even, look at him. Look at who he is. Look at what he does. Listen for his voice. <coughs> Oliver and I have been talking a lot about language and, and when the word that's come up the most, and he said it today in, in the meeting earlier, he said, it's this word behold. 
that we want to be a community, we want to be a church that's beholding Jesus in every season. Wherever you are, I want you to behold him right where you are, but stay where you are because he's not asking you to get over it and move on. He's standing right in front of you right now. We're going to partake in communion here in a moment and we're going to sing a little bit if we have time. But Lord, I, I just bless this church in your name, Jesus, to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. I pray that your truth, your law, your word, what you've said, the logos, what you have said would fuel their worship. And Lord, I pray that through your spirit, you would transform them. Transform us, Lord, to be singers of your word, not just doers. Let us be singers. I thank you that each of us has a unique voice in your eyes. You look at us and you love it when we sing. You love it when we praise you. And that's what we want to do for you, Lord. We want to love you and praise you. So I bless them with the opportunity to worship you, not the obligation. We break down those walls of religiosity that say you have to do this. But Lord, you're giving them permission to want to. I love you, Lord. We love you, God. Fuel our worship. Let us be singers of your word. Bridge that gap between our head and our heart, Lord. Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please subscribe and leave us feedback on our iTunes channel. For more information about our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks again for exalting Jesus with us.